Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Yes, for another episode of All the Things, welcome. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. And all helping right. us on the show today and every day is Bob Bontrager, official button pusher. Hello there. Man with no camera. Man with no camera. You know what? I am so sorry. The reason why we have... We, we don't have the capabilities to see Bob the button pusher is because I have his camera <laughs> upstairs in the headquarters for CFBU, the Center for Biblical Unity, which is also sponsoring our show today. That's right. <clears throat> Sponsored by Theology Mom Podcast and yes. Family 210 Clothing. Yes. We have shirts. Yes, I have on a Family 210 shirt right now. As do I. Yes. So if you yes, like yes. our designs, go check out our family shop you can just go to centerforbiblicalunity.com slash merch yes and yes, if you yes. buy a cfbu item yes five dollars goes, goes to, to um helping us, helping us it, and it helps um we're saving for curriculum yes <coughs> so that's what we're development. doing boy i got a cough this morning i might need some water well you said this morning what do you mean this morning <laughs> i don't know it's saturday night <laughs> or it's monday morning people this is a pre-recorded show because actually we're in Texas. We are in Texas. Yeah. On Saturday night. But we yes. do have guest moderators on the chat box and everything is going to proceed as normal. Um, we want to say hi to our guest moderators. Emily hey, bon Caleb. Emily Bontrager. Yes, Caleb. Yeah. From Engage Apologetics. Yes. So they will be there helping They're you. They're both fire. And uh, Monique or I or both of us will try to hop on the chat box during the show. Um, Monique probably won't. She'll be probably busy, but I'll try to hop it's on true. there. And uh, we will uh, engage with you as well. We also want to encourage you to sh support the show. You're part of the audience participation. Are you ready? This is it, is share the show. Click on that share button. Hit that thumbs up. Make sure that you're subscribed to our YouTube channel because sometimes YouTube has a little tendency to make up your mind for you. Shadow ban. And even if you think you're subscribed, just go ahead and check because sometimes they uncheck you. And yeah. so you got to help them out a little bit. Let them know you want to stay connected. Wow, you're really us. on it this morning. I know. Like, check it. Check yeah. it. I don't know. I'm still half asleep. I'm not going to lie because <laughs> lying would be unethical. But <laughs> if I'm honest, I do have my coffee. Yes. Yes, it's cup number one of four probably today. Yes. So, um, when it's so warm, <laughs> oh. I'm hoping to do some some more conversations. Uh, we've been doing a lot on race topics lately since yeah. the George Floyd um, incident. But another very important thing that's happening right now in our culture is the election. Yes, and I think that race is part of the election conversation too. Oh, I think it's a big part of the conversation. Yeah. But another thing that's been on my heart is economics. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part too. And I, I think that, you know, not even just a part of the election. I just think that um, a lot of what we're hearing embedded in the race conversations is are, about economics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, when we, as we go down this path of talking about justice issues, race issues, Having some competency about economics is really critical. Mm -hmm. And 
I I know that theoretically all high school students take a, cl- a semester class on economics in order to graduate, but I feel like a lot of people just don't understand how things work. Mm-hmm. And um, about 25 years ago, I did a little class with a group called the Acton Institute. And if we've mentioned them on the show before, I think our friend Thaddeus Williams um, gave them a shout out. So really want to encourage people to go follow them and kind of understand a little bit of their point of view um, when talking about economics. But our guest tonight, I read his book a couple of weeks ago, and it was really interesting. And, I remember you said yeah. a lot about it. Yeah. So it's a book called Was Jesus a Socialist? And um, so I, I looked up the author and he's. Y'all, let me just tell you, she is like Inspector Gadget. She <laughs> will find you. She will hunt you down. She she is good like that. So, yeah. So when she was like, you know, I think I want this guy on the show. I think he's really interesting. He has a lot of good things that he says. And I, I was hoping she wouldn't say, can you do some research? Because I am not <laughs> Inspector Gadget. So the book was, was Jesus the Socialist. I'm going to put it up here on the screen because uh, it was a really good read. I read it in a couple of days, but it had a lot of very helpful information in it. Mm. And the author, Lawrence Reed, then I Googled him because I am the inspector. And that's what my family calls me. And uh, the guy actually has a PragerU video on the same topic. And so I reached out to him to serve as a cold call. Mm-hmm. And he was gracious enough to say yes. Yes. At the bottom of it, did it say this email will (laughs) self-destruct in five minutes? But I don't know. I was just wondering. He's going to come on and help us out a little bit. Give us some information because I don't know a lot about economics. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I, at one point I was never a socialist. Um, I never believed in, I, I guess, fully believed in or acknowledged the idea of socialism and thinking that socialism was the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, had heard a lot about, you know, capitalism and that capitalism was horrible. I think um, in South Africa, the some of the people that I worked with were really against capitalism. And so that's when I began to think even more about this idea of capitalism versus socialism and what does that look like? But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning as well. Yeah, um, I think it'll be this. good. And yeah. I think a lot of our viewers are going to have a good time learning from him and just walking us through some basics um, mm-hmm. and f- furthering the conversation. Yeah, so. I feel like the last, well, today and, you know, last Saturday, it's going to just be like sitting in class and yeah. I'm getting out my notebook. Get your <laughs> pens, people. <laughs> we got some amazing yeah. people that are coming on the show and helping us learn. So, all right, let's get Lawrence on the on the uh, Zoom machine Mr. here. Mr. Lawrence Reed. Yes. All right. Welcome, Lawrence, to the show. Hey, thank you, Krista and Monique. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, and I th- thank you for having me. Yeah, thank well, you for saying yes. Yes, right. It's my pleasure. The people that I don't know these women, but I'm going to be in the rest. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. So maybe uh, help our viewers get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a, a, a bit about yourself and, and your background and, and what you do. Okay. Well, I'm just about 67 years of age, so I have a lot of history behind me. (laughs) I was born in Pennsylvania. I taught economics uh, for seven years at Northwood University in Midland, Michigan, lived in Michigan for 30 years. Uh, And for most of the past uh, 35 years, I've been running uh, one think tank or another, three in total, uh, and most recently the Foundation for Economic Education. I was president there for uh, about 11 years and then retired a little over a year ago into the president emeritus role, which has given me more time for uh, writing and speaking 
Uh, by profession, I'm an economist and historian. That's excellent. So I think it's a good, succinct summary. I, I kind of found you through the the economic education uh, entity because uh, they had you listed there. So maybe we could start by how you got interested in the question mm-hmm. of was Jesus a socialist um, and what kind of started taking you down that that road to investigate that? Okay. Well, from uh, a very early age, uh, as a teenager, I uh, have appreciated things like individual freedom and uh, a, a flourishing free society where people are left alone in peace so long as they do no harm to others. And that became my passion. Uh, in one position or another, I have been an advocate for Uh, those kinds of peaceful, uh, mutually beneficial social arrangements all my life. But uh, since I was a teenager, I frequently heard the claim that Jesus was a socialist, and I was never able really to uh, reconcile my understanding of socialism uh, with what I understood to be the teachings and the ethics of Jesus. Uh, and hearing that phrase or you know, that claim uh, a lot in the last few years, I finally decided, well, I'm going to investigate this myself as a Christian and historian and economist. I want to see what he actually said in the context of uh, the socialist idea and to see whether what he taught was sympathetic to that or perhaps to the opposite of socialism, capitalism or something in between. So I finally got around to uh, doing that investigation and then writing uh, this most recent book, Was Jesus a Socialist? Can you tell us, like, what is the difference between socialism and communism or even like socialism? And I'm sure everybody knows what capitalism is, but there's probably some person out there is like, how do I clearly define capitalism? What is the difference when like just a quick overview on, you know, so I can know like what I'm participating in and believing in. Okay. Well, I'll define socialism in a way that many socialists may object to because they'll say, oh, that's a loaded definition. We don't really mean that. But I define it in terms of what it actually uh, produces. It is the concentration of power in the state for the purpose of central planning of an economy or the redistribution of wealth or the government ownership of the means of production, to one degree or another, it's a one, two, or all three of those things. Um, and it's uh, to be contrasted with its opposite, which is capitalism, uh, which involves um, uh, free markets, uh, private uh, property, mutually beneficial exchange in an atmosphere of rule of law and the dispersion of power, not the concentration of it. So what would be the difference between socialism and communism? Like, what would what would those differences be? There is a lot of confusion around this. If you go back to the man who first wrote the most about both of these ideas, Karl Marx, uh, he said that socialism would involve a dictatorship of the proletariat, this notion that workers would sort of run the show. Uh, They would form the government and uh, would not be a democratic one in the sense that uh, we'd all be able to object and run for office in opposition to the powers that be and so forth. It would be a dictatorship. 
Uh, and during that phase, he said, uh, we would uh, use the political force of government to wipe out the remaining vestiges of capitalist thinking, like individuality and priority and so forth. And then ultimately, Marx said, that would uh, give way to the end of historical evolution, uh, which he dubbed communism. That's when government would just wither away, which is one of the most nonsensical notions uh, in history. The idea that people who have total power would somehow someday uh, get up and say, well, you don't need me anymore. We're going to give up all this power, walk away. I mean, he never explained how that was to happen. But that would usher in communism, uh, a system where everybody would share and share alike. There would be no government. We would just do it because we wanted to. Uh, that's Those are the, the definitions as Karl Marx would have it. In actual reality, the countries that call themselves or have called themselves uh, communist typically said, uh, well, we're really not there yet. Uh, uh, we're socialists, like Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. They were trying to promote communism, but they always said, we're not there yet because we have a totalitarian government. And uh, so they were working along the lines of the way Karl Marx viewed it, too. Wow, I find that so interesting because what I hear right now in culture, especially with things um, like critical race theory, which is what we talk about a lot, um, and certain organizations that are being put forward, I think there is this idea of removing power, um, you know, from from like removing hegemonic power and dispersing power so that it's more um, equal things like even defunding the police, I feel like fall under that. But then there is this long term goal of what almost feels like this utopia where we won't need these things anyway. So it's good to we won't need power structures need or power structures. Yeah. But in the in like the first step is to um, overthrow the power structures to make sure that it's a more equitable or more equal um, playing field. And so, yeah, I I. I, I can see more of the socialist mindset. Like, I think the socialist mindset, yes, I can see that. But I wasn't sure about the communist mindset. But I think that that utopia is the communist mindset. Would, yeah, would that you know, be fair? Yeah, I think so. And there is a uh, an objection that those on the far uh, socialist left might uh, share in common with me and uh, others who believe in capitalism. And, and that is, we don't like uh, special favors for the politically well-connected. Sometimes that gets confused with capitalism. Notice a few capitalists who use their political connections to get special favors and subsidies and special treatment and maybe even uh, get the law to disadvantage their competition. Well, in, in the belief of those of us who understand capitalism, we're, we don't like that either. That looks a lot more like socialism than it looks like capitalism. Right. We treatment and equal treatment, equality by law. And then to have that, let people go to town, let their talents take them as far as they can go. Hmm. Well, I think that's an important distinction because I think capitalism has such a, a bad name. I, I prefer to call it like free markets, just because I think the word yeah. capitalism can be so triggering for people. But one of the <clears throat> critical underlying principles of free markets is equality under the law, that the law is equally applied to the rich and to the poor. Mm -hmm. yes. This is actually a biblical principle. Um, it says in scripture that you shall not favor the rich or the poor. Mm -hmm. 
And this is where we get, as in our country, the idea of equality under the law. And so I think the distortions of capitalism, when we had our friend Dr. Mike Gurney on last summer to talk about just sort of edging us into the, 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 the kiddie pool about capitalism, one of the things he brought up was crony capitalism, yeah. you know, where it's, it's favors and, and you, you leverage your, your influence to get favors and to benefit you and yeah. benefit others. That's not um, the type of capitalism that I am for either. I, I, that's theft. That's also not biblical. Yeah. And Absolutely. so I think that it's important to draw these distinctions. I like how you're saying we actually share that as a value of people that sometimes are are frustrated by capitalism and that are going into the socialist side of things of the conversation because they don't like the crony capitalism. But that's a problem right. in the socialist system, too. Wouldn't you say Oh, well, I was going to say that equality before the law should bring all of us together. Yeah. The notion that the law should be impartial. It should, for instance, uh, judge whether or not you're innocent or guilty of some charge based upon whether you did it, not according to irrelevant factors like your faith or your place of origin or your race. Uh, that's an age-old struggle uh, to achieve, uh, equality before the law, because most of the people who've ever lived on this planet have not enjoyed a system under which uh, they could say they have equality before the law. That's a relatively recent development, and we still haven't perfected it, even in America, but it's yeah. worth fighting for all the time. I love how you said yeah. that. It's worth fighting for. It is worth yeah. fighting for. Yeah. But I also think that that speaks just to the condition of the human heart. Like these yes. issues that we have aren't new. And I know that many people advocating for equality and equity, you know, and all these things. And, you know, however they frame those up with their terms, this idea that we can um, get there is almost like a utopia. Like we have, you know, hearts that just, um, you know, aren't there because of the wickedness of our hearts. Yeah. And, you know, I think, yeah, it is worth fighting for and holding the reality that, you know, as we can fight and fight and fight and we should, and we should never, to me, um, think t that we would see the full fruition of it as long as, you know, we live in a sinful world. Exactly. We are fallen people and uh, there are a lot of wonderful things that we need to work toward. But because we are fallen, uh, realistically, we're likely to always be fallen to some extent. We're not going to get to perfection this side of heaven. I think that's an important worldview distinction, though, that we as Christians, we hold to a view that humans are fundamentally flawed, that mm -hmm. we're created in the image of God, that we have essential value, dignity and worth. We deserve equality under the law mm -hmm. as human that's persons. That's God's vision that's for God's us. That's God's vision yes. for us. Yeah. That we will participate that way. But we also live in the simultaneous reality of being fallen people. Yes. And I want to get more into some of those worldview issues, because I think that's an important thing that differentiates free market systems from socialism. But first, I want to have a rejoinder to because I know that this is going to be in the back of some people's minds, because I've heard people who do advocate for socialism say, well, it just hasn't been properly implemented yet. We, yes. we haven't done it correctly Maybe you can address that that concern, Lawrence. 
Yes, I, I, I too have heard that probably a million times, which always makes me wonder, well, if, if a theory never gets uh, even close to its uh, full implementation or it never works when you try to put it in place, maybe there's something wrong with the theory. Uh, this is one of the reasons why socialism sometimes is hard to uh, nail down because it's a common trait of socialists to say, ah, hey, here we have it. Uh, Venezuela, in the year 2000, Hugo Chavez is going to nationalize, expropriate, and redistribute, and now we're going to finally make it work. Well, then a few years later, it flops, and they say, true to form, well, that wasn't it. We'll try the next time and get it right, or he didn't do it right. At some point, you have to say, maybe there's something wrong with the theory here that it always flops instead of just finding excuses for it each time. Uh, and I think there is something fundamentally wrong with it in theory. Socialism is uh, uh, anti-human nature. It tries to make people equal in ways in which they are not. Again, equality before the law is a worthy goal, very important goal. But equality in economic outcomes, regardless of what each of us brings to the marketplace, is both illusory and harmful. We are not the same. God didn't make two people identical. Uh, we all have different talents. Some of us don't even discover what our best talent is until late in life. Uh, we, we don't have the same savings rates. We don't have the same willingness to take risks or the willingness to work. Some of us are more entrepreneurial or less entrepreneurial than others. Uh, so, But socialism attempts by force of law to make people what they're not, economically equal. And uh, trying to get there invariably involves violence and force and produces misery and poverty. So then going back to Krista's question about the worldview and seeing, um, seeing things through a worldview lens, would you say that um, capitalism is more, holds more toward a, a Christian worldview? Well, I think so in, for several reasons. Uh, and that's not to say that there aren't some things about capitalism that I would uh, caution about or be careful of. Certainly, uh, you know, one of those would be uh, along your way to accumulating uh, wealth in the marketplace. Remember, as Jesus cautioned, not to worship that wealth, not to allow it to uh, cause you to succumb to temptations and prioritize wealth over uh, God. Um, but socialism, of course, does the same. I mean, uh, there are people who worship wealth even under socialist systems and many who worship power, which in many ways is even more destructive uh, than uh, wealth. Uh, capitalism is what happens essentially when you leave people alone. It's not uh, some, somebody's central plan. If you just leave people alone and you say to them, we're going to protect you against the violence of fraud and deception and force, as long as you do no harm to others, you'll be left alone yourself. Bingo, what happens? People begin to say, wow, I can do better for myself if I can find ways to serve others, if I can produce products and offer services that other people willingly say, wow, give me some of that. I'll give you something in exchange. Uh, capitalism actually takes uh, uh, greedy mankind and turns many of us into people eager to please others. I go into Walmart a couple times a week, and what do I find? A store full of people I don't know, clerks and the manager and so forth. And what do they say? They say things like, how can I help you? Can I get you something? Do, uh, can I help you find something? Uh, 
you know, so that's capitalism. People trying to please others by bringing something of value to the marketplace. I think that's a good point. Sorry. I told you. I, I was Monique's like, I'm, I'm going to be here questions. just, you know, just answering. I mean, asking questions. I can't answer nothing. I'm going to tell you now. But I think that um, the what you said about like clerks and managers, that also is extremely helpful and important to recognize because, yes, it can be a thing where now I have a service and I can give it to this person or I can sell it to this person. This person is going to give me money for it. But at some point, if I have a really good service, then more people are going to come to me and it's going to be more than what I can manage. So, which is not a bad problem to have, but then I can share that wealth and help somebody else. Maybe they're not entrepreneurial. Maybe their talents are different than mine and, or they haven't figured out like how to make that work, but I have. And so now I can say, Hey, can you come help me and I'll pay you? You know, that's the clerks and the managers. So Walmart has figured out, you know, how to make this system work and now they can hire other people and say, Hey, can you help me? And so now many people, um, and this is no, no like promo for Walmart, but for any, you know, any place now other people are, are being helped out of poverty or out, you know, they're, they're able to work, you know, which is, um, part of like a part of, part of being created, I think in God's image or part of the the call, like for, for humans, you're going to say it better than I I do in Genesis, (laughs) but you know, it's part of the created order. That's what it is that we would work. And so I think that, um, you know, this idea that I should just give everyone money, you know, even if they don't want to work is it goes against the created order and what God has set up from the beginning. And it I didn't always it. think this way. Y'all, I'm going to let you know right now. I didn't always think this way. Look at the Lord. Won't he do it? <laughs> and, you know, that sort of thing actually can discourage work and production. Uh, we saw that at Plymouth in uh, 1620 when the pilgrims came. And the first arrangement was to uh, require everybody to farm on public property and put everything they produced in, in a common storehouse and then divide it up equally. Well, human nature being what it is, in no time, a lot of well, wait a minute. Why should I work harder to produce more when I don't get any more? Uh, everything's just uh, divided up equally. So when they nearly starved under that arrangement, the governor, uh, Governor Bradford, said, OK, we're going to parcel out property. It'll be yours. You can grow on it what you want, sell it for what you can get. All of a sudden, people started thinking entrepreneurially. They had a vested interest in turning that property into its greatest maximum value for everybody. Um, and so that communal method failed there as it did uh, endlessly throughout history, everywhere it's been tried. Do you think that, because <clears throat> I, I think the way that I've thought about free markets is a couple of points I want to offer is, one is that it's, it can be a form of loving your neighbor, hmm. that <clears throat> Jesus yeah. talks about loving our neighbor. So when I come up with a good or a service that my fellow humans need, it's a form of loving my neighbor. When I go to Chick-fil-A and these very polite young people say, you know, when I say thank you and they say my pleasure, pleasure. you know, and I know they're all programmed to do that, but it, it creates, I think that manners are actually a form of loving our neighbor. It's, it's a, it's a way of being in community with each other. I guess if you produce something that's decent, you know what I mean? Cause you can produce something in a free market that, um, that's illegal. Right. You and know so, what I mean? But, but did you notice his definition at the beginning is that we'll protect you from fraud mm-hmm. and from theft. And as long as you don't harm people. Yeah. 
So we can't engage in things like human trafficking and just call it a under, free market, a free market that's you know, not under okay, that people. banner. That's not all right. That's not OK. So maybe we could talk about the importance of virtue yeah. within advocating, because I feel like you have to do both projects simultaneously. You have yeah. to advocate for virtue, because what I think is beautiful about free markets is it has the right presupposition. It assumes that we're created in the image of God and part of being created in the image of God is work. Mm -hmm. That's part of the created order. It's not part of the curse. Yeah. It has another important presupposition that we are, um, that we're sinful and we're kind of, we want to benefit ourselves. Mm -hmm. But in free market ideas, when I benefit myself, I actually also can simultaneously benefit my fellow humans by creating a good or service that they they want. The problem with socialism, I think, is it has the wrong presupposition. It kind of assumes that humans are basically good and want to share. Yeah, I don't have that presupposition at all. <laughs> but this is, Not at this all, is why y'all. I think that communism Mm-mm. and socialism perpetually fail. I don't know. Yeah. Lawrence, I've never shared that with a real economist before. Those are the musings of a theologian. I'm wondering what you think about that. Oh, I'm so glad you raised it because this is a uh, common theme of mine in uh, all my public speaking, speaking and uh, much of my writing too. And that is the connection between, as you put it, virtue. Sometimes I use the term character uh, and uh, uh, a free economy. I think they are uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, In fact, I think that um, uh, a free market is impossible without substantial measures of virtue and character in people. And let me put it this way. Uh, When we talk about virtue or character, what are we referring to? I think we're referring to such things as honesty, uh, valuing truth, speaking truth to power, uh, recognizing that truth is a value in and of itself, uh, even if it's inconvenient, it's something we should strive to promote and to defend. Uh, Also, another trait of good character is humility, recognizing that as smart as we might be, there's still a universe of knowledge out there that we don't know, uh, which raises the question of, well, how, how do you think you can plan somebody else's economy <laughs> if you don't know so much of uh, uh, what you would need to know? Also, patience, responsibility, courage. Uh, these are important elements of character and virtue, without which you're not going to have a free society. Can you imagine a society of people who don't value truth, who lie at the drop of a hat, who steal from each other, who are not patient, who are ready uh, at a moment's notice to force you to do something they think you should do rather than try to talk you into it. Uh, a society of irresponsible people who never step up to the plate and say, sorry, that was my fault, or I made a, an error in judgment and I'm not going to foist the outcome of my errors on someone else. You'd have chaos. And in that chaos, you'd end up with a dictatorship. And, and economically, that would mean some kind of socialism. So character or virtue is really the other side of the coin of liberty and its economic component, which is uh, capitalism. Very good. I'm so glad that you spoke into that. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can get into kind of a couple of the most common passages that you see that people try to put forward. I have a couple in mind, too. Uh, When we talk about the question, was Jesus a socialist? Because uh, there are a few passages that that people try to 
um, Marshall in their case. Yes. And it's like if you don't know and if you're not clear on the differences between socialism and capitalism and the differences in scripture, like if you don't really know what scripture says, you'll fall for it. Yeah. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Hi. <laughs> you know, like I was never like I said, never full on socialist. But the, the arguments can be very compelling. And if you're not really versed in the word, you can easily be swayed. Yeah. People, that's why we got to know our word. Yes. Know your word. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're right. <laughs> well, one of those uh, notions is that, well, Jesus uh, believed in compassion. He believed in helping others. He encouraged people to take care of those around them. He told the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and uh, the Samaritan was praised because he helped out. And some people may look at that and say, well, because he believed in compassion and he told the story of the Good Samaritan, maybe he'd be in favor of the welfare state or socialism in, of one form or another. But to him, uh, showing compassion was never to be compulsory. In fact, the Good Samaritan was good because of his own free will and with his own resources, he chose to help the man in need. If he had said to the man along the road, oh, well, there's a a government program for you, see you later, uh, we would not think of of him today as the Good Samaritan. We'd think of him as the good-for-nothing Samaritan. (laughs) 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 If you equate socialism with nothing more than giving and sharing and helping, well, you could do that under capitalism. In fact, you can argue that uh, very convincingly that there's more caring, more giving, more producing of the stuff you need to help others under capitalism than you ever have under socialism. And look at foreign aid, even government to government foreign aid. It's almost always in the direction of from countries that are more capitalist to the countries that are more socialist because they are suffering and have mass impoverishment. So socialism isn't just caring. If you uh, if Jesus came to you today and said, tell me what you've done to uh, uphold my teaching about caring for others. He would not be impressed if you said to him, well, I voted for some people who said they were gonna do it. I don't think he'd be, he'd say, wait a minute, that's not much evidence of what's really in your heart. What did you do? Right. Uh, not, not what some politician claims to have done with money that he swiped from somebody else. Oh uh, yeah, we, we we need to fan you on that one. That's a good word. That, that is, a, is yes. A, no, no, give me that fan. I'm a fan you. <laughs> now if you don't know what fanning is, I'm just gonna let you know. This is for Black Church tradition. You say a good word, and I'm gonna fan you. Oh yes. my gosh, thank you, Monique. That's yes, <laughs> when you said Jesus would not be like he, he would be the the good for nothing Samaritan. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But see, people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear the real. There's, yeah. you know, the Good Samaritan and and then that. and then we launch from the Good Samaritan to government. We'll take care yeah. of it. Yes. We're going to have yeah. a trillion dollar welfare state. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. How, did, Jesus how, about was... the, uh, how about the story of the loaves and the fishes? You're there we go. Right? Let's talk about that. Well, I've used that one. Can we not use that? <laughs> she used that one on me. Yeah. OK, there was a multitude of some 5000 people who approached uh, to hear Jesus speak and the Disciples said, oh, uh, Master, these people are so hungry. What are we going to do? And Jesus first turned to Philip. And as the Bible itself says, he kind of tested him by saying, Philip, how are we going to buy what we need to these people? And uh, Philip had no idea. Uh, And so what did Jesus do? Did he say to the disciples, well, I think there's a rich neighborhood not far away, maybe a bank and a 
in a uh, marketplace, uh, go raid those places, take what those people have and bring it here and we'll redistribute it. No, he used his unique power to magnify wealth. He didn't uh, pilfer a crumb from anybody. He didn't divide the pie differently and thereby shrink it. He actually baked a bigger pie and created the wealth needed to feed the 5,000. Now, let me talk about this issue of private property, because I don't think people really have an appreciation for how much private property is in the background of so much in scripture. And that the idea of, you know, that we just take from this group of people and we give it to this group of people there, it seems that in scripture, the, the wide assumption is that private property matters to God. Like there's a lot of case law in the old Testament that protects people's property. Those people probably don't have private property. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I don't know if you could talk about that at all, because that's a big issue in socialism. God expects us uh, to be good stewards of creation, uh, to magnify it, to care for it, to improve it. And he understands because he is the creator and the author of human nature that uh, if it's yours, you are, are far more likely to take care of it. If it belongs to everybody, you know, the people's this, the people's that, or if it belongs to nobody at all, uh, well, then everybody has an incentive to use it and abuse it, but not much incentive to take care of it. When it's yours, though, and there are exceptions, some people aren't very good at this, but most people will take better care of what belongs to them than what belongs to either somebody else or nobody. I mean, that's why when you rent a car, you you probably wash your own car all the time, right? Uh, How many times have you rented a car and washed it before you turned it back in? We don't do that because it's not our car. You know, it's just not the same. Uh, Private property is absolutely essential for people to be able to say, this is mine. I can can do creative things with it. I can, uh, if I take care of it, in fact, there's a reward for me in doing so. Uh, it's it's absolutely indispensable to human development. I think what's interesting to me about the Ten Commandments is there's a there's a commandment about against theft. Yes. There's a commandment against bearing false witness or lying, uh, de- yeah. and 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 deceiving people. And but there's even a commandment about the heart of yeah. not coveting what your neighbor owns. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and you've probably noticed there's a period uh, after each of those, like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. It doesn't go on to say, unless you're absolutely convinced you could spend it better than the person who earned it, mm-hmm. or thou shalt not steal, but it's okay to hire a politician to do it on your behalf. Or unless you're very poor, it's okay to steal. Or thou shalt not That's steal right. to make everything equal. Yeah. And yeah. so private property, I think it's just something that's not in our consciousness but is is latent in in scripture. Now, there's an interesting story in scripture where two men come to Jesus and one of them wants Jesus to kind of arbitrate their their property and their inheritance. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's in the book of Luke, uh, Luke 12, 13 through 15, where a man uh, says to uh, Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me. In other words, hey, how about a little social justice here? Can you divvy up the wealth a little differently? I didn't get a fair shake. Give me more, equalize it, you know, in various ways you might interpret that. But it's a request to redistribute uh, wealth using Jesus's influence or power. And his response is remarkable. He doesn't say, well, we'll have to look into that. Oh, you mean you didn't get the same? We'll have to equalize that. 
No, his response is, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness. And of course, being judges and dividers over the rest of us is what socialists are trying to do all the time. Well, let's talk about uh, kind of. I just never thought about it that way. Sorry. I know. I just, this is why we have Lawrence. Because <laughs> I'm tired of the conversation. Uh, I'm not that bad. I'm really not. <laughs> so one of the things that Monique and I are very passionate about is helping the poor. And, and we do think that, you know, Jesus commands us as Christians to, to regard our neighbor and that there's many ways that that can be done. But one of the big concerns that I've had is I want to help people in a way that actually helps them, (laughs) that that goes along with biblical principles. And I'm wondering if you could just give us a little snapshot. We're going to have um, some guests coming up and I want to let our viewers know, like we're going to start doing some deep dives into this issue. But but just from your point of view as an economist, what do you see as being more advantageous about a free market solutions versus socialist solutions to help really lift the poor out of poverty in a, in a more permanent and multi-generational way. Yes. Uh, well, you're really right, Krista, that Jesus advocated for caring for those around us. Uh, and that is a virtue that I wish more people would practice. He never advocated the use of political force to get it done. And I think uh, it, it's quite likely because he was the master of human nature that he understood that when you choose to get involved yourself with your own free will and your own resources in service to those in need, uh, some magical things begin to happen. Uh, you, you tend to get involved personally with the person in need, and you tend to hold that person accountable if there are ways in which they need to have a behavioral change so as to make uh, their improvements sustainable. You, you tend to insist on that. Um, and you and you reward them when when they show it, but just sending a check to the government uh, under compulsion and expecting some bureaucracy to teach them how to improve their lives—that is so uh, such a cop out and such an ineffective one. Uh, when you get involved yourself in helping others, this it not only helps the other person; I think it helps you. Most people get uh, an immense satisfaction from the knowledge that wow, I made a difference in another person's life. I just didn't sit back and call the politicians and say, hey, you do it. I've got other things I'd rather do. But I actually did it. And uh, I think it, it transforms and improves the giver as well as the recipient. And isn't that really what Jesus commanded us yeah. to do is, yeah. is to, I don't see a warrant for like farming it off to the government. And, and people often think I'm, I'm against helping the poor. I'm like, no, I'm really for helping the poor. I just... Yeah think that there's a certain kind of way that we ought to do it as Christians. I think that even um, in the Old Testament, like the idea of gleaning is a good example of this. Like, yes, we need to help the poor. There should be a provision for the poor. Um, And that there is also a responsibility on the poor. So when when poor people and correct me if I'm wrong, because like I said, I'm a work in progress, not a theologian. Um, (laughs) 
that when people went to go glean, they actually had to do the work of getting the fruit themselves. So if the fruit was high in a tree, you know, you need to bring your bucket, bring you maybe a ladder. I don't know if they had ladders in them ancient times, but whatever your little climb up mechanism was, they had to go and bring that themselves. Or yeah. even if it included like doing the work of asking like, hey, can I use your ladder? But I still have to go and get the stuff myself. It wasn't a thing of like, well, we see you this know, in the book of Ruth. She goes and actually goes to Boaz's field and does the manual labor. Mm-hmm. She doesn't yeah. even tell the men like, well, can you glean it for me? Yeah. <laughs> she has to, to go there and do that. Yeah. And, and that kind of goes to my point of, I think work is essential for human dignity from God's yes. point of view. Yeah. I don't know, Lawrence, do you have any thoughts about that? Oh yes. I, you used the word I was about to use dignity. There is a dignity that comes from a, a person applying himself that you don't get if uh, you're just sitting at home in your recliner waiting for the mailman to bring you a government check. And you know, if you look at the way socialists behave, although they like to think that government is the best way to help people, they don't behave that way when it comes to their own resources. I mean, they're always out there advocating, uh, you know, let's raise taxes on the other guy, but not so much because of what the government might do with the money, uh, more because they like the idea of punishing the person who's got the money. Uh, otherwise, they would uh, put their money where their mouth is and uh, write additional checks voluntarily to the Department of Health and Human Services. But not even socialists do that. They don't donate to the government. Mm-hmm. If they donate at all, it's to the Red Cross or their church or the Salvation Army, because inherently, instinctively, they know that such uh, private entities do the job better than some distant uh, bureaucracy. Yeah. Now, one of the things I do want to offer um, a caveat to is, you know, yes, while we are definitely promoting work and dignity for able-bodied for, yeah, people, this is something that, you know, we're also talking about able-bodied people. Like if you're disabled and, you know, can't walk or can't work or, you know, there's something that prohibits you from doing that. Like this isn't a shame or, you know, like right. a, a downing on that. Well, we so, see that in the ministry of Jesus, too. I mean, that's what he expects us to do in dealing with the crippled mm-hmm. we see in 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 his ministry the crippled the lepers i mean like and, when i first came home you know yeah. like i couldn't work when i came home from south africa and because you were disabled yeah and you know i can work now and things like that and that's awesome but i think that there's yeah i just sometimes can wonder if people understand the difference of what we're talking about yeah well let's ask lawrence that because i mean that's in the ministry of jesus is how do we deal with those people that are in the i can't work category what is our obligation as christian to those as christians to those people i think there's every reason to believe that jesus would say that the degree of the need uh, should uh, be the governor of the degree of the response that if a person is completely incapacitated then uh, that calls for us to step up to the plate and provide the assistance uh, that they need even if it's far greater than uh, than others may need so yeah i think there's a proportionality there And again, I I don't see that Jesus would ever say that politicians are inherently more compassionate and bureaucracies would understand this, but the rest of the people would not. I think he would say, if if you really want to live to the ethics that I teach, well, then get off your duff and help others around you. And and don't think that it's fulfilling your responsibility by just expecting the government to do it. Uh, That's an abdication of responsibility. 
No, I, I agree with that. And but it, I mean, I also think, sorry, um, that even in even in being disabled, like there's things that people can do, you know what I mean? Unless you're like completely incapacitated, which is what you hit on. But, you know, like I couldn't work. And so what could I do? I cleaned. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I, I, you would come home and like and I know, <laughs> you know, like I'm working now. And so things are different. But, you know, I would clean or I would cook or, yeah. you know, like what what could I do to, you know, affirm the dignity value in Worth but that was of part of that was part of my kind of rehab program for you. And Lawrence doesn't know what we're talking about. When Monique came home from the mission field from Africa, she had mission field induced post-traumatic stress disorder from being attacked on the mission field. And when she first oh. came to to stay with us, she was fairly incapacitated and, and I was her primary caregiver. But part of this is where my theology came in is because of the things that we're talking about with Lawrence today is I had this very rigorous theology of work. And so part of I couldn't and afford I had it. a rigorous theology of sleep. I had been <laughs> gone for four years. And I, I was like, can I sleep? She's like, no, not today. No, and every Wait, day I made, her, I made her get up and we would set three goals for the day. And I my everlast nerve, okay? <laughs> and I would say, what, what can you do? And so she would cook one meal a day for the family or she would clean something or we would set a goal of read we'd one go on walks. We'll go on yeah, we're gonna go walks. on two walks today or we would she would read one chapter in a book to keep her mind active but this is all the ways that my theology of work came out because I still believed you had essential human dignity mm -hmm. um even though you you couldn't formally work in a in a job yeah that I still believe that would help you get better mm -hmm. faster. It sounds to me uh, as though, Monique, you are an example of value of encouragement. This is something that uh, every Christian can do, even the poorest of Christians, if you can be an, an encourager of others. Uh, I think back to uh, some great stories that, that aren't told enough of people like Fanny Crosby, mm. who was the greatest a hymn writer yes. of all time, yeah. wrote, wrote nearly 9,000 hymns, a uh, remarkable woman. And she never had any recollection of having seen a thing. She was completely blind from the age of six months. Mm -hmm. And yet because of others around her who encouraged her, who said, you've got a terrible handicap, but wherever you want to take your life uh, in a positive, peaceful way will help. Um, she was encouraged and she became such a remarkable woman in spite of that terrible handicap. Wow. All right. Well, awesome. I want to let everyone know one more time, uh, go download or buy, uh, Lawrence Reed's book. I bought mine on Kindle on Amazon. It's also available in paperback. Was Jesus a socialist? And it is a great read, very accessible, practical, um, just a great introduction to the conversation about socialism versus free markets, how that intersects with the Bible. Go get connected to his organization where he's the emeritus president. Um, it's F E is it F E E? Yes. Dot org and start learning more about uh, free market solutions uh, to help enhance your life as well as the lives of those around you. These, this is a very important theological conversation that we need to be talking to our kids about. And that's one of the big themes on our show. All the things is what are the conversations we as Christian parents are in with our kids? Economics is a big issue and yes. we need to have better education in that area. So yeah. go get connected with Lawrence and his work. Thank you so much for Thank doing you. this. 
Hey, thank you both. You've been terrific. Uh, great questions. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Thank you so thank much. You. You've been a great resource for us. Thank you Appreciate so much. You. Have a good day. You too. All right. All right. All right. That was... Have a good evening because it's early. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was. It's super helpful. Um, you know, I, I really wish um, that more people in um, black and brown communities had had these resources like I wish that I understood this growing up as as a young person yeah I'm still young don't don't wasn't looking at the right camera I am still young yes I am but um you know I wish that that there were more conversations around um capitalism in inner city communities you know it and we should be introducing these topics in um, words at very young ages yeah. so that, you know, it's not a thing of, well, I grew up poor and or the white man's keeping me the down. The white man's keeping me we down. We got to change yeah. the conversation. We got to have a new narrative. To show, yeah. yeah, definitely a new narrative and also like personal responsibility. You know, I'm yeah. I, but this yeah. is why I've been so concerned about this idea of now personal responsibility and entrepreneurial ideas is being labeled as part of white culture. I actually think that that's part of the Christian worldview. Well, and I want to, you know, part of my heart is I really hope that we can, you know, start partnering with some black churches that want to, you know, see this as a justice issue that we can really speak into that. Like, because I really want to advocate for helping to lift people out of these mm-hmm. redlined areas, out of poverty. And, mm-hmm. and what's the best mechanism for yeah, that? And I, I agree. so in our conversation last week with Pat Sawyer, revisiting that, you know, I said, I think I'm, I might be the skeptic at the table about government programs. And I know some of our yeah. commenters, you know, and that's fine. We we're all in the process of learning right mm-hmm. now. And, and that's all good. But I think for me, like, I just am more persuaded that, entrepreneurial and if we could get some churches to to do some things and really catch this vision i have a lot of guests in mind and and that we're going to bring on that are people that are doing this in their communities and And that's what we need to see we need to see it so that we have a model even yeah you know maybe we don't have to reinvent the wheel but if we do have to invent the wheel That'll be all right. It'll be coming right from the Center for Biblical Unity first. We're going to invent the wheel and be able to make it replicable. Yeah, but a good place to start is go at uh, to Acton Institute. Yeah. I really want to get some a few people on from their um, group. You can go to the Poverty Cure. It's sort of like a small group mm-hmm. study um, with videos f- published by the Act- Acton Institute on more free market solutions for helping the poor. Yeah. And so there's some resources already out there. All right, let's go ahead and change gears a little bit. So earlier, <laughs> earlier last week, yeah, um, oh, Krista released a blog post. What do we do with white Jesus? Yeah, and some people kind of lost their minds. I was just like, y'all, like, <laughs> people don't understand. I don't know what I'm trying to do with this. So go ahead and and lay out your vision for yeah. us. In the well, first of all, even before you lay out your vision, lay out the reason why you wrote this article. Well, I wrote it because I saw some tweets um, from concerned black people, big black voices, I would Mm -hmm. say thought leaders, saying that white Jesus should be, all instances of white Jesus should be torn down and um, 
and that it's a symbol of white supremacy. Yeah. So there was there's um, a couple of anti-racist activists who are going around right now really pushing this idea that white Jesus, um, white Jesus needs to come down. So if it's on a stained glass window, if it's, you know, wherever it is, whatever, some kind of picture painting, whatever, it needs to come down because it is upholding the idea of white supremacy. Now, I have to admit that I didn't really have an understanding of this whole white Jesus thing until Monique and I started having conversations. And so I'm just sort of admitting a blind spot here and and being vulnerable that, and there he is right there, but that's not a black church fan. I mean, (laughs) black, they got white Jesus. I mean, I don't know that this is a black church fan. They don't have a funeral home on the back. That's, (laughs) that's when you know it's a black church fan because it got the funeral home on the back. But I mean, okay, so when we talk about white Jesus, we're talking about like the skin of your nose, like the more European look, like Jesus kind of has straight hair when in the Bible it says it's more wooly. When I think about wooly, I think about my hair without the braids. Like, you know, so this would be, I think, considered a more European. So they would want to take our fan away, y'all. The devil is a lie. Ain't nobody coming for my fan. So I think that it, it was like when Monique first watched the Brady Bunch when she first came to live with us. I've watched the Brady Bunch since the mid seventies, since I was a kid. And I never noticed that all the children except Peter have blue eyes. Yes. All of them. And, and I'm like, what? And she, she's telling me this. I'm like, I've never noticed that. And I think it's just one of those blind spots that of not noticing, like it never would have occurred to me. I don't think in looking at this image of Jesus, like, Oh, look, he has a, he has a skinny nose. He has straight hair. He's white. And it's just a blind spot and, and I'm just being vulnerable. Like, mm-hmm. and so then when you pointed it out to me, I'm like, okay, I can, I can see this. And my heart behind writing the piece, which I don't think I did a very good job. Let's just be honest. I was trying to help people that had the similar blind spot that I had, that this is a real issue of a, a, a blockage to the faith. Mm-hmm. That for, for especially younger black and brown people, because when we front images like this all the time, and this is the only kind of Jesus that they see, they think Christianity is not for me. It's just for white people. Now, I, I, I understand that that's not an objection to the faith that I've had. But I understand that it is a very real obstacle to the faith for some people. And I have the heart of a Christian apologist. I've worked in apologetics for 25 years. That's what I do is I try to remove unnecessary obstacles to the faith. So my heart was for outreach and evangelism for black and brown young people who struggle with this. I was trying to make the case this is not a real issue. Jesus was a Jew. He probably had brown medium brown skin. And what could we as white Christians do to help remove this obstacle for other people? Mm -hmm. It went down in flames. No, it didn't. It did not go down in flames. Don't be extra. It did not go down in flames. People just, I don't think, I think people have bias and we all have bias. And so if something's presented to you and you're unaware of your blind spot or your bias, at times you can push back. And I think that there were people who will, you know, said, well, this is just, this is just an unimportant topic. And I'm like, no, actually it's, it's really important because one, you don't understand how, 
or maybe you don't understand. I'm not going to say definitively that people didn't, but, you know, maybe you don't understand how there is a thought that we need to allow for an outside entity, people who aren't even Christian or don't profess the name of Christ to come in and tell us what we must do in our churches. That's the first issue for me. But then two, that there is an, an a, a conversation happening currently that Christianity is a white man's religion. And then when we um, go against scripture, we go against, I think it's Exodus 24, 20 verse four that says, don't create things in my image or in, in the image um, of anything in heaven. Yeah. So when we, then when we do that, we are almost just continuing this narrative of, well, this is, you know, by, by creating um, pictures and displays that, you know, aren't, more well-rounded in how humanity has been formed. We continue this narrative, even subconsciously of, well, Christianity might be a white man's religion. All pictures are white. So yeah, is it, is it the end of the world? No. Can there be conversation of, well, you know, these pictures came from this century or, you know, from this time. And this is why they all look like this, but this fan was made (laughs) two months ago, you know? So (laughs) What's the excuse here? You know, like th- we we should have some where's, education where's on. I, I don't know. Oh yeah, he's kind of white. You know, <laughs> we could have some other education and other conversation around. Hmm, what did Jesus look like? Why do we continue to perpetuate a Jesus that? is not historically accurate. Yeah. Is there any benefit to it? Is there bias behind it? What does it do for those who, um, you know, may not look like this? You, so I don't know. To me, I just, I'm like, can we just stop with the recreations of Jesus and, and stick to the scripture of Exodus 20 and four? Like, you know, because it, it just creates too much issue. And well, I think that and if that's we do, part of the problem. If we do have an image of Jesus, I, I you know, and, and again, I want to say to all my, our Orthodox viewers, this has nothing to do with iconography. Mm -hmm. I understand what iconography is. It's an other, and I'm not addressing that. Oh, I'm not one of these people that we, Monique and I are not those kind of Protestants that think icons are idols. So we're not speaking to that. So we love all our Orthodox friends and that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is actual (laughs) pictures where, where, you know, this is, there's a little, African-American boy right there. Yeah, I think everyone so, is represented. But see yeah. here, here, okay, so here's another argument that gets put forward. I'm and trying I don't to just remove that, an obstacle for, for, well, for black young people. So here's, a, here's another is issue, though. One of the things that gets talked about, in, especially in critical race theory, is this idea of white savior complex. Oh. White savior mentality. I didn't cover and that. And so, so, I know. We should talk when, about when that. when we talk about things like, well, white Jesus is fine, and then we have the picture of all the other little kids needing of all the other ethnicities. So you get every, um, or not every ethnicity, but you get a ton of a different lot, ethnicities lot. around Jesus because he's the savior. You can promote this idea of, oh, look, there it is again, this white Subtly, savior yeah. mentality yeah. that all the ethnicities need to come to the white person. People, you can say that, you know, well, that's just bogus and da 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 it, it, You can have your opinion or your bias about it, but this is what people are talking about. And, and so and that, think, it, like, as Christians, we need to be um, versed or we need to be educated in what's being said and understand, mm, I wonder, is there anything to it? Is it all just hogwash? I think, yeah, that and, and and it can be hogwash, it, but there is something to it as well. And having a ready answer, yes. like it talks about in First Peter 3.15, 
of being ready to give a reason, apologia. That, that's what I was trying to do in the post is to try to equip Christians to give a reasoned uh, for their faith and and to respond and, and to, to have a response about this whole white Jesus phenomenon that, you know, Jesus was a Jew um, in the first century. He probably had medium uh, colored skin. He, he definitely didn't. Jesus have, said that melanin popping. didn't look like this. No. No, you didn't look like that. Okay. And that's okay. Like, but, but this is a very real um, concern that some people have. And we need to have answers. We can't just dismiss non-Christians because they have questions yes. or dismiss young people because they have questions. Yes. Some of these questions are legitimate. And part of our job as Christians is to remove unnecessary obstacles. Now, look, I'm a theologian. I know the first Corinthians talks about Jesus being a stumbling block, that he's an mm -hmm. offense. I'm aware of those passages, but we have to differentiate between real ways that Jesus will offend sinners because he's calling us to righteousness and fake ways, fake obstacles, unnecessary obstacles, obstacles that we put in the way that we put in the yes. way because of our culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm hoping go read the blog post. Um, give me your thoughts about it. Hopefully this explanation will help you a bit. You can go to the theologymom.com, just click on blog and you could see my post there on what do we do with white Jesus? I would also say, though, too, that some of the comments were extremely helpful um, in the on the thread, especially um, because we posted it on the Center for Biblical Unity thread. Mm -hmm. I thought that some people who had studied like art history. Yes, and all I love like, those it comments. It was awesome. Yeah, because it, it talked about, you know, how in the Europe, I don't even know what era I am not a history person, <laughs> but it talks about like, oh, you know, and during this time this is all that they had. Right. This was the thought. And, you know, some people were illiterate. And so they wanted to be able to tell the story of Jesus and they wanted to do it through pictures. But these are the only people that they ever saw. So they created Jesus in this image. Right. I was like, oh, that's super helpful to know that. Yeah. No, you know, those, were, I, those were great comments. Yeah. And I think even more than that, we have to be careful of like, yeah, we, we want to make sure that we remove stumbling blocks from people so that they do come to faith or, or have a, a clearer you path. know, way path yeah. to come to faith. But we don't want people to be able to come in who are outside of the faith and say, you need to take stuff down. It's my house. How are you going to come in here and tell me to remove my couch? Like, no, people. No, we have to be aware of the arguments that are being put yeah. forward in the culture so that we do have a defense for them. And I think that a lot of the comments were helpful and gave yeah. me new ways to think about, you know, a defense for some of those things. And I think that we need to have an appreciation for the unique challenges in many of the black churches that there are a certain set of objections that black people face that are not in a lot of white churches mm -hmm. or predominantly white churches. You know, in the black community, they're faced with things like black Islam, mm -hmm. Hebrew Israelites. Um, the black Jesus concern is, is Christianity a white man's religion? These are very big questions for black Christians that they are black facing. Brown. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, think that it's just, sure. you know, yeah, black, but I, I, I do agree with what you're saying. You know, and I think that, in apologetics, we need more people to, to speak into that and give reasons on those fronts as well, because mm -hmm. there are some very unique challenges that I think in the traditional kind of white apologetics sphere, there's work that we've done that could be applied to those issues. 
but we don't have a lot of voices that are actually doing that work. Yeah. And that needs to be more of a, of a conversation. That's a void that, that needs to be worked on. Yeah. You know? I agree. So, all right. All right. That's the show. Happy Monday, everybody. Or sorry. No, no, no. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. <laughs> we'll see you next week. God bless. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.